Hello, and welcome to your new favorite bookish podcast, Fully Booked and Caffeinated. I'm Heather. And I'm Kelsey. And today's episode is about the debut thriller novel, A Flicker in the Dark by Stacey Willingham. Now, we're doing things a little differently today. We are celebrating because it's Cinco de Mayo. So instead of coffee, we have some margaritas. We got ourselves a little surprise tonight. Mine is clearly virgin. <laughs> there is no tequila in my, my margarita, but my husband did make homemade strawberry margaritas. Sounds delightful. And mm-hmm. for the listeners who cannot see you, I can attest that it's in a very pretty glass mm-hmm. and had like the little, because it's frozen, so it had like that nice swirl on the top. He it even did a delightful. sugar rim. Yes. He's mm-hmm. just, he always goes above and beyond. <laughs> he sure does. And I do have tequila because I am the not pregnant of this duo. And I have a watermelon margarita oh, that sounds with good. some nice Jose Cuervo in there. I'm not going to lie to you. I brought a backup drink. Did you really? Just in case. Oh my God. It's a, it's a cut water tequila soda. Okay. So I'm, I'm trying to have a good sink on a mile. You're okay? moving and so, grooving, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, just, you carry us, Heather. You got this. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Enjoy your margarita. It's, I wish mine had alcohol. Just, you know, a couple more months. <laughs> couple more months. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, today's not, we're not caffeinated, but we're not thirsty. That's the truth. That's the truth. All right. So, today's author is Stacey Willingham. And she is a New York Times, USA Today, and internationally best-selling author. She has written two novels so far, A Flicker in the Dark, which is today's book, and All the Dangerous Things, which I own. I got it in my book of the month box end of last year, so I'm very much looking forward to reading it. I've heard very good things about that one as well. And her third novel is set to come out in January of 2024. So she's just writing them, pushing them out. Plowing through them. Yeah. She earned her bachelor's in magazine journalism from the University of Georgia and her master's in writing from Savannah College of Art and Design. Before turning to the world of fiction, she was a copywriter and brand strategist for various marketing agencies. And her books are currently being translated in over 30 languages. Oh, that's really cool. Which is impressive considering she's still such a fresh author. Yeah, I I can't believe I knew this was her debut mm-hmm. novel, but every time I'm like, really? Like it's it's just it's surprising to me. It's nice to see when these authors that come out with their first book and they're just written so well and they're actually good. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, like good for you. Like you actually wrote a good book for your first time. Yeah, and they get. I mean, I don't know the process of being chosen to be on the book of the month, but whether it's luck mm-hmm. or you know who's determining this. I but- know. <laughs> It's really cool because that's how much exposure you're able to get. Exactly. Because she was a debut author for Book of the Month with A Flicker in the Dark. And then she was a repeat author with All the Dangerous Things. That's really cool. Yeah. And I believe, I didn't write it down, but I also believe that Flicker in the Dark won like a Goodreads award too for like Book of the Year. Yeah. For like Thriller. Super popular. Yeah. yeah. And as per usual, we choose a book and then I realize, oh, this is going to be a show at some point. <laughs> So Always. it was an it was an announced back in October of 2021 that HBO Max is developing a series adaptation of the novel that hails from Emma Stone's Fruit Tree and A24 production company. 
So I'm happy that it's HBO Max because that means it'll do it justice. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Because we loved Sharp Objects when that was oh on HBO gosh. Max. Yeah. And yeah. Mayor of East Town, which I don't know if that was actually a book, but it was a really good thriller series with Kate mm-hmm. Winslet. So they do. And um, Flight Attendant also, which was based on a book. Was oh, done I, really I well didn't too. watch that yet, but I know that I've heard too that that show was really good. Yeah. So I think whenever HBO Max picks up something, it's usually, you know, it's going to be, I mean, it's rare on, for their shows to not be <laughs> bad. <laughs> their budgets are very high. So. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I did see on Goodreads, you can sometimes, I think you had did the same thing with the and Patient. You, the readers can ask the author a question and they'll respond. So this was a question someone had asked. They had asked, what inspired you to write A Flicker in the Dark? And Stacy responded, she said, I've always had a fascination with criminal psychology and true crime, so serial killers are intriguing to me. The vast majority of murders take place due to very common emotions, things like love, lust, jealousy, greed, vengeance, etc. So while the majority of people would never act on those emotions and take another life, we can at least understand the emotion. With serial killers, however... It's almost impossible for a normal person to wrap their mind around why they commit their horrible crimes. All that to say, one day I was watching a documentary and a picture popped up on the screen. It was of Dennis Rader, also known as BTK, walking his daughter down the aisle at her wedding. At that point, BTK had murdered 10 people already and nobody knew his identity yet, including his family. And it hit me right then that if strangers had a hard time understanding a serial killer, I couldn't imagine how their families must feel. It felt like an earth-shattering betrayal that would have repercussions across every aspect of your life. And the idea of a flicker in the dark was basically born in that moment. I wanted to tell the story of a serial killer through the eyes of his daughter, because through those eyes, the villain suddenly became much more complicated. Shit. Yeah. I love that answer. And it's Uh so... I mean, think about us. We met in a true crime book club. Mm -hmm. True crime has been hugely on the rise the past five, six, seven years. Mm -hmm. The obsession with it, the fascination with it. And that really, like, encapsulates it. Like, we're trying to figure out what the fascination is with these people, trying to figure out what drives them, what makes them different from other people, like whether they had traumatic childhoods or whatever, what makes them kill people when other people don't kill people. Mm -hmm. So that's, wow. And the whole family thing, obviously, I mean, BTK is one of the most famous ones where his daughter had absolutely no idea. I know. So that's when you say it like that, and then you read this book, it's so obvious. Exactly. Yeah. But- also, just like such a well-worded answer. She's a she's a very good writer. She's clearly good at she knows what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting answer. And I also jotted down for us too, because clearly we became friends over, like we said, like serial killers and like true crime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's a whole community of us. It's a very large community of true yeah. crime. And members. it's always been kind of like taboo of mm-hmm. a thing to be interested in. But now I think we're really breaking down the fact that it's not, oh, we're just obsessed with Ted Bundy. Like, no, we're we're obsessed with the psychology of it and getting to the bottom of it and, and figuring out how these people who look so normal, quote unquote, can do all these terrible things and hide it for so long. It's just it's such a such a complicated thing, but it's it's so interesting. And that's what makes these thrillers so exciting to read. Because it all has that same theme 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. So the book description from my BFF Goodreads is... When Chloe Davis was 12, six teenage girls went missing in her small Louisiana town. By the end of the summer, Chloe's father had been arrested as a serial killer and promptly put in prison. Chloe and the rest of her family were left to grapple with the truth and try to move forward while dealing with the aftermath. Now, 20 years later, Chloe's a psychologist in private practice in Baton Rouge and getting ready for her wedding. She finally has a fragile grasp on the happiness she's worked so hard to get. Sometimes, though, she feels as out of her control of her own life as the troubled teens who are her patients. And then a local teenage girl goes missing, and then another, and that terrifying summer comes crashing back. Is she paranoid and seeing parallels that aren't really there, or for the second time in her life, is she about to unmask a killer? In a debut novel that has already been optioned for a limited series by actress Emma Stone and sold to a dozen countries around the world, Stacey Willingham has created an unforgettable character in a spellbinding thriller that will appeal equally to fans of Gillian Flynn and Karen Slaughter. Love it. Yeah. I love that description. I know. I'm and like, also, I, said, I was like, <laughs> unmask another killer. Imagine that's your life. <laughs> Just, God, I have to unmask another killer. Another I know. day at the office. Another, I was going to say, another day at work. Woe is me. <laughs> what a life. Okay. <laughs> so we're setting the scene as usual. But before we jump into the novel, I want to address the Nietzsche quote that she put at the very beginning. Because okay. I was obsessed with it. And I was, and I read it. And I realized that this was going to be a good book. Just because I like this quote a lot. So it was... Whoever fights monsters should see to it that, in the process, he does not become a monster. If you gaze too long enough into the abyss, the abyss will gaze back into you. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and it like, goes with this. You know, sometimes does. they'll put quotes at the beginning that you're just like, mm-hmm. well, that's an awesome quote, but it has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. No. And so when you, when I read that initially, that was the first thing you read and it just was... It was like, give me the chills. Mm-hmm. Oh, it sets like, it up okay. for sure. I was like, okay. So since this book is pretty straightforward and it doesn't necessarily time jump, but there's flashback scenes, the best way I believe for the two of us to discuss this book is to just give a play-by-play from the book from start to finish. And that way we can just dive into all the aspects because it's a twisty, turny adventure. There's sure twists is. and there's turns and there's more twists and more turns. It just seems like... We'll just kind of go for it from the very beginning. <laughs> and then we'll isn't talk about this, things as they come up. Isn't this what everyone was talking about? That this book was like impossible to You couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah. And all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we'll talk about that as they reveal mm-hmm. each, you know, what we thought. Okay, cool. Exactly. And I am looking forward to the end discussion about our thoughts on everything. And when the final twist is revealed and everything. Because it was good. Okay. So... As we had said, the main character is Chloe Davis. So she's from a small Louisiana town called Bro Bridge, I think. I didn't look up the pronunciation of the first word, but I'm assuming it's bro, 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 whatever. And then her father, Richard Davis, also called throughout the book, sometimes Dick Davis, Ah. was (laughs) was convicted of murdering six teenage girls over the course of one summer when Chloe was only 12. So the book starts not at that point in time, but it's the 20 years later. And she's working now as a psychiatrist in Baton Rouge. And she's recently engaged to her fiance, 
Daniel Briggs, who is another big character throughout this book. And so in late May, so it's basically almost the 20 year anniversary of the first death of the girl from, or the first missing girl from, from like her childhood. Mm-hmm. And a teenage girl from nearby, Aubrey Gravino, goes missing and her dead body is soon found. And then shortly after that, another girl, 15-year-old girl named Lacey Deckler goes missing and she was actually one of Chloe's patients. So immediately Chloe's connected to this without even and meaning to be. Not only that, but Chloe was the last person to see her alive because the exactly. last time they saw Lacey was leaving an appointment at Chloe's office at her private practice. Mm-hmm. So immediately the, the spotlight is on Chloe and she doesn't, no one really knows in her life now who she was in the past. Only like mm-hmm. Daniel knows. I think, I don't think anybody, or no, her, her receptionist knows, right? Yeah, I think so. Cause they're like friends. Yeah. But she doesn't really tell people much about her dad basically being a serial killer and kind of keeps what happened that summer on kind of close knit to her. So she she moved away, but not far away, like only a couple hours away, but she moved to a more busy city. Mm -hmm. So it's like she was able to blend in more, I guess. Yeah. The first girl that went missing back in 1998 was Lena Rhodes and Chloe knew Lena pretty well. Lena was a couple couple years older than her, and it seemed like she had a crush on Chloe's 15-year-old brother, Cooper. They meet Mm -hmm. at, you know, the county fair, and Lena's very bad girl. She's drinking, like, straight to vodka and, like, a Gatorade bottle or something, whatever it was. Yeah. Just (laughs) chugging. Like, lifting her shirt to show off her belly button ring, you know, Mm -hmm. just being... I... I'm obsessed with Lena. Like Me she too. Is my absolute favorite. I love every part where they talk about her because we all knew someone like Lena. Yeah, a hundred percent. Someone like Lena, and she's just like rebellious and edgy, and she kind of tries to corrupt Chloe a little bit, but also in like a loving big sister kind of way. Mm-hmm. And Chloe just, I love the way that. Since this is all from Chloe's point of view, the way that Chloe like idolized her and talks about her in this endearing way every time yeah. that she has a flashback about Lena. Yeah, it never seemed her thoughts and feelings about Lena were never negative or judgmental at all. And you would think that the kind of character that Lena is portrayed as is she would be someone that the audience would immediately judge because maybe she's a little bit more promiscuous for 15 or... Mm-hmm however it goes and she seems to have like a crush on her brother but chloe just genuinely lena was like her genuine friend mm-hmm. and she doesn't even realize it until like you know later in the book that lena was actually like her friend like she doesn't yeah she never associate more associated lena as someone that was kind of teaching her the ropes but yeah. then she realized but that even no. like lena would say she wouldn't just try and corrupt her and be like, oh, we should go and drink this liquor. We should break into your brother's room. Like, she would also give her these little gems of, like, you need to be yourself and mm-hmm. you need to, you know, own yourself and own – you know what I mean? Like, so she was – that's why I got those, like, big sister vibes. Yeah. So it wasn't just her being being a bad influence in order to get closer to Cooper. Like, they genuinely were friends. And we also – which I'm sure we'll get to, but we get – 
little glimpses just from Lena's offhanded comments about what her home life was like. So you kind of start to understand her a little bit more and understand Mm -hmm. that her home life wasn't that great. And there were reasons that she was, you know, always out and always doing her own thing. Yeah. And so the beginning of the book is kind of originally it's or how it starts is Chloe's in her office and she gets a phone call and it's from this was it New York Times? I can't remember what magazine it was. He was a journalist yeah, for I think so. Aaron Jansen and he's trying to he wants to talk to Chloe about the twenty year anniversary coming up of her father's conviction and the missing girls. And she's like immediately like, No, like fuck off. I don't want to talk to you and mm-hmm. all this. And so we come to find out that she has a drawer full of pills because she can write prescriptions. <laughs> yeah. And there's so just, this it's is... like a, it's like a candy store in there. <laughs> Literally. And like, this is the thing. So obviously Chloe has a lot of trauma. Like mm-hmm. that's why she got into psychology, psychiatry and this whole like drug candy drawer she doesn't actually take, from what I remember, any of the other drugs besides Xanax. Mm-hmm. And, like, taking Xanax is not a big deal. Like, people are prescribed Xanax. But the problem is that she is calling these prescriptions in in her fiancé's name. Yeah. And then going to fill them and pick them up and prescribing them to herself. Like, so it turns a normal medication into... A re- an unhealthy reliance on a drug. You yeah, know what I mean? It becomes like a problematic situation. And exactly. it almost, and I think, I mean, my assumption is the reason why the author brings that up to the front immediately is because you automatically now have kind of like a suspicious eye on Chloe in a sense, because mm-hmm. now you have to wonder, is her judgment impaired throughout the book? You know, it's because, you know, she's illegally writing scripts, filling them and then taking mm-hmm. them. You know, that's against the law. It's illegal and I can't do that. Yeah. And she keeps alluding to the fact that she's had issues with drugs in the past and that she doesn't need them. She just needs to know that they're there. So I think you you have it spot on. Like they're trying to set up the fact that, yeah, Chloe might be helping, uh, helping other people, but she is not fully over her trauma at all. No, the drugs to her are almost like a security blanket. She doesn't necessarily right. need to have them. She's not. She doesn't necessarily need to take them. But knowing that she has access to them, I think, kind of calms her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's one part where she's like, even like holding it in my hand, I'm immediately calm. Yeah, uh-huh. and I'm like, girl, that is that is called a drug addiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the very beginning of the book, you're already learning all these things immediately about the main mm-hmm. character, and then she comes home. And she's paranoid because the light is out at her at her house. And she was she's like, I never turn that off. Like that should be on. Which, hang on for a second. <laughs> Does she not know the fact that like light bulbs can burn out? Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was my first thought. I was like, that was mine too. I was like, oh, it's probably nothing. And they're trying to build it up as something because of like you're um you're automatically like thrown into like this suspense world. But then it turns yeah. out her fiance was planning a surprise engagement party and so surprise and and everyone's like celebrating their engagement which was a quick they got engaged pretty quickly and they're getting married Mm -hmm. in like two months so it's all very fast which again i think is another almost suspicious thing in the book Mm -hmm. because whenever someone wants to get married quickly 
And the fact that she doesn't like surprises. Yes. And he threw her this surprise party because he's like, oh, you never would have done it for yourself. And you yeah. never would have wanted a party and stuff. But like, he knows how he knows about her past. So mm-hmm. he knows that she would not like a surprise like that. And she does not like being, you know, shocked by yeah. anything. Exactly. And her brother Cooper is there at the party. And Cooper does not like Daniel. Cooper Understatement. is... Cooper just disapproves of him heavily. He is He's not like, you don't know him. He is not he Daniel's number you. one fan. No. Yeah. And so and he's but he's always but Cooper has also always been very overprotective of Chloe because of what their father did. And mm-hmm. so he kind of almost, you know, because the father goes to prison and then eventually the mother has kind of a mental breakdown and she tries to commit suicide. So Cooper definitely had to step up as kind of more a parental role to Chloe instead of mm-hmm. just a brotherly role in their youth. Yeah. And this interaction at the party between the brother and Daniel and Chloe, it tells you so much. I mean, it's like oh, yeah. a five minute interaction, but it tells you that Cooper and Chloe have always had problems with relationships and that's why cooper doesn't understand why she's rushing into something because they've never been able to let people in and then daniel comes out and he's like is everything okay out here and he kind of like pulls her closer and it's kind of like a not a jealousy dynamic but like i mean i guess jealousy or like possessiveness it's it's, i was gonna say it's like a possessive who whoever can put you know possess her more is the more superior one out of the two men right because right. they both want to protect her in their own ways, and they both feel mm-hmm. that they can do it better than the other. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's there's, it's like, it's like a pissing match. It's literally what exactly. it is. Exactly. <laughs> and like one of them is her brother, and one of them I is know. Her fiance, who's I know. Known her for like eight months or something. <laughs> I know. So you know, so Cooper's at the party, and then he leaves, and then it's the next day, and so Daniel's a pharmaceutical sales rep. And the bro travels a lot for work. Mm-hmm. Suspicious guy number one, person who travels a lot. Why are you always gone? You know? That's true. Especially for someone like Chloe, who you would think would need that. I, I mean, I feel like, yes, she would need her alone time, but she would also need a strict schedule. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to know where someone is at all times just because of her past. So, yeah, I, I was suspicious of him yet, but... The traveling thing is like it, it just adds a little yeah you know. i knew like once i read the insert for the book and all these teenage girls were going missing and there was the connection to chloe when i when i got to the part about him being like a trap going traveling a lot immediately i was like a it was like a little like yellow flag little red flag yes. i was like all right you know gotta keep an eye out for him he's definitely gonna have some kind of role in this entire novel mm-hmm. and so he's gone and that's when Chloe discovers that, you know, the girl went missing. Or was that before? Was that before or after the party, actually? Wasn't it after the party? It was after the party, but the first girl goes missing and it's not a big deal because it's just like, obviously a coincidence, like one yes. person goes missing. But mm-hmm. then once the body was found and then the second girl goes missing, yeah. she knew that's when Chloe starts spiraling. Really starts spir- yeah, start spiraling. And so because... So first, before she's, like, even questioned about Lacey Deckler, Chloe is just stressed. She's like, I need my Xanax. And she's like, I'm going to I'm gonna 
to freak out. And so she's driving around and she ends up at the cemetery where they're doing kind of like a search for the first girl, uh, Aubrey Garbino's body, because I guess that was where she was last known to be, was the cemetery. She was last seen at the cemetery. Yes. And so there are all these people are looking and then this one woman finds an earring and Chloe just goes up and fucking grabs it. Like snatched snatched full palms this shit like <laughs> she might as well have coughed on it I know. so she just finds this this earring and immediately her hackles rise because she knows that it's aubrey's because she saw the pictures of aubrey where she was wearing the earrings and a matching like pearl they're pearl earrings with like a matching necklace and then the police officer comes up to her and he's like you're just touching evidence. Like, it's like, don't fucking touch it. What is the matter with you? And she's like, oh, like, what? Your dad's yeah. literally a serial killer. You don't know any, you never watched one episode of CSI? I know. And so she's immediately, and then, but because like the big, the big reveal from the flashback is that, so Chloe is the person that discovers this, she's, looking through her parents closet she's playing dress up looking for one of her mother's scarves and she comes across this jewelry box that she recognizes as her mom's and she opens it up and in the jewelry box is a bunch of jewelry and she recognizes the butter was it a butterfly or a firefly the firefly mm-hmm. belly button ring that was lena's mm-hmm. so she's and she remembers back when they were at the county fair and lena was lifting up her shirt showing off her belly button ring that their father was very intently watching this interaction mm-hmm. made it seem like it was creepy. Yeah. Like so, that he was a pedophile. Yes. So Chloe brings this jewelry box to her mom and it has other, it has other mementos in there. It's not just that it's other jewelry. So the whole, this was her dad's thing as a serial killer is that he would take trophies which is common yeah. for serial killers. They'll take trophies from their victims and her dad's trophies were jewelry from the victims. Mm-hmm. So like she's immediately thrown into like that scenario in the present day because now this girl was missing some jewelry when her body's found, because when her body is found and there's no, there's no necklace on her body. Mm-hmm. And that must've been traumatizing for a 12 year old girl to just find, to just discover well, and that's that your dad the is a serial killer. Thing. Yeah. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's the crazy thing that we learn is that Chloe is responsible for her dad being caught. There was yeah. no DNA evidence. There, Everything they had was completely circumstantial. The smoking gun was the fact that this box was found in his closet. Mm-hmm. That's all they have. And so she's the one who found the box, showed it to her mom, and then brought it to the police and said, like, I don't want to get my dad in trouble. She didn't even, yeah, during the whole interrogation with the with that police officer and the flashbacks, Chloe kind of changes her mind and she doesn't want to show mm-hmm. the police officer anymore because she doesn't understand how someone as loving as her father could do this to other people. Mm-hmm. And her father made, she talks about it so much, how safe yes. her father made her feel mm-hmm. and how much he took care of her and how he would make comments, both the parents would, about, you know, there's girls going missing. There's someone on the loose 
and it's not safe to be outside. There was curfews in the town. There was, you know, no one was allowed outside by themselves around that age. So he was always, you know, telling her to be careful and making her feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, not only can she not imagine that it was her dad, but she's also like, I don't want to get him in trouble because Mm -mm. I don't want to lose him. So like, even as a 12 year old, she's understanding what the implications of her actions are going to do but she's young enough to think that maybe it won't be worth it to turn him in because then she would lose him you know what i mean and she also recalls a time when she was couldn't sleep and she was reading in her little nook in the window and she saw her dad coming back with like a shovel in the middle of the night so she's also worried about that so she's you know she's trying to decipher all this evidence that's now presented to her and wondering Ask a question, Chloe, because that, <laughs> that is fucking suspicious, okay? The looking at Lena from across the way could just be a creepy old man yeah. thing. But the coming from the woods with a shovel, mm-hmm. I feel like you could ask a question. I, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> but that's just me. Anyway. Yeah. Or maybe like, but then, I don't know. It's almost like her teenage brain almost made her feel like she was like hallucinating it to us in a sense. Yeah, like that she, she was had an seeing overactive imagination. Yeah. So <laughs> this I, poor girl. I would I would have just asked. I would just be like, Hey, were you gardening last night? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. But, all right. All right, Chloe. You do you. <laughs> because Chloe was the last one to technically see Lacey Deckler, or so it seemed she was the last person to, to see her. The detective shows up to her place of employment, well, her, her place of work, and she. <laughs> the kicker is that he comes with the police officer that ripped the earring from her hand. And he's like, do I know you? And Chloe's like, nah, bro, we don't know each other. <laughs> she is, she lies at the dumbest times. She's, she just lies, just lies. I like think there he's gonna know just be like yeah i was helping search just like everyone else in the town like you don't have to make it weird i know i know so but i think it's well it's because of her past and there's another experience that she had when she was in college so she's very she always feels almost worried like nervous around police officers because she's in she's constantly put in these situations that she didn't ask to be put into Mm-hmm. And so she just doesn't want to seem suspicious, which in a sense will make you seem suspicious because you're trying yeah, not to be uh, suspicious. <laughs> technically, you put yourself right in the middle of that when you picked up that earring. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they question her and she's like, I, you know, I don't know. Like, I didn't watch her leave the office. I don't know if she, if anyone was waiting for her. I couldn't tell you. And so there, she has obviously nothing of substance to tell these police officers. Mm-hmm. So they and leave. She's a psychologist. So they're yeah. saying like, was was something going on at home? Did she run away? And she's like, I can't tell you can't any tell of you that. that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm her psychologist. And also, there was nothing that was so dire that would suggest that I would need to break that confidentiality. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And after that, I believe it was she like had already she had already cleared her schedule prior to that because Aubrey's body had been found mm-hmm. and she was basically having one of her many mental breakdowns and couldn't really function it, it seemed she couldn't bring herself to she knew that she wouldn't be present for her patients yeah. so she had yeah, them. she has these like episodes where she just like completely shuts herself out from the world lays on the couch catatonic for hours on end which is kind of 
the drawback of Daniel being gone all the time mm-hmm. that she's able to do this for days at a time and then she's like okay he's coming back tomorrow so like i just have to be a normal person by tomorrow exactly and chloe kind of already has these theories running through her head that now there's two girls missing one has showed up dead that it has some kind of connection to the 20 year anniversary of her father's the missing girls and her father so since she already has a day off she's like i'll go visit my mom i'll go to the the assisted living facility that we have stuck our brain dead mother in <laughs> so, so the mom tried to kill herself after yes, the sentencing failed but was saved before she mm-hmm. she died and the only person who could make the decision on pulling the plug on her when she was in a coma was the dad and he refused to do it yeah so now she's just brain dead very she can't, level she's unable yeah she's unable to move or speak but chloe thinks that she can she can communicate and it's kind of it's by her tapping like her finger against her leg so she'll she can kind of get like yes or no answers from her mom by talking like that she doesn't like fully believe no. it because she won't tell anyone because she's like yeah they'll think i'm crazy they'll think exactly. i'm making it up so but in her mind she thinks that maybe there is you know something uh, maybe that her mom has some kind of cognitive function she just can't speak mm-hmm. so She's tall. She's like, I have to tell someone my theory about all this and I can't tell, you know, I don't want to bring, I don't want to bring Cooper into this because Coop, I don't know why. I don't know why she wouldn't like, you're so close to your brother and you've already experienced something in the past. You would think that the first person you would go to if you're having these feelings in the present would be to talk to the person that you experienced it with. Yes, <laughs> I agree. But they do set it up that Cooper also thinks that she's paranoid. Like he immediately mm-hmm. asks if she's been drinking, if, if she's yes. been doing drugs. So I think she's like, yeah, he would be the ideal person to talk to, but he won't believe me. And he'll think like that. I'm just spiraling, which mm-hmm. she is to be fair. But. She is. And so she's like, I'll just, I'm going to talk to someone that can't respond back. <laughs> so she just tells she her mom says how fucked up it is she's yeah. like i'm just gonna like unleash this on my mom who then can't pass it along to anyone else yeah and just like has to internalize it she's like that's pretty fucked up of me but like i'm gonna mm-hmm. do it yeah it's more or less what she does and yeah. she promises to bring daniel to meet her mom because she hasn't done that yet and they're getting married in two months and she knows that her mom should meet the guy she's going to marry but she doesn't really want to bring him around. Mm-hmm. And she then, has so much resentment yeah. towards her mom. She does, which I think is fair. Absolutely. You lost so one parent to a, a criminal behavior, and then your remaining parent can't handle the stress, so they try to take their life and just yeah. leave behind their two young kids. Yeah, and she that's why she can't bring herself to take care of her mom, to visit her more often, because she just feels so betrayed and she's never had that chance to be able to talk to her mom about it or to be able to confront her about it and her mom's never been able to apologize or explain Mm -mm. so it totally is valid that she has those unresolved feelings yeah i agree lacey deckler's body is found in the alleyway behind chloe's her her work her office so again this girl she's just being thrown into this missing girl situation without asking for it obviously and it's again you're like 
So your first thought, I feel, while reading this book is that it has to be somebody she knows. Because right. the common the the threads are too they're pulling. It's everything's too common. Well at first it's like, could this really be connected to her or is she just paranoid? And then you're like, Oh wait, no no no. Yeah. This is literally happening on her doorstep. Exactly. And the detective says that they have her body and they want her to to come look at it to see if anything's out of place, which that's traumatizing in it itself. It's not. This is not normal police protocol. <laughs> this is not even a family member. Like, what are you talking about? I know. And at first, you know, Chloe's like, no. I mean, like, I guess. Like, I don't know what you think I can do to help you with this situation. And so she goes. And the detective's, like, pushing her. Like, do you recognize? Does anything seem out of place? And Chloe's like, I met this girl for, like, an hour. One time. What do you... Like, barely looked at her. Like, it was our introduction... Yeah. appointment i yeah. was looking at my notebook i wanted to go home it was friday night i was thinking about my xanax like <laughs> give me a break but then she notices because in that first appointment in the book it's written that not that chloe's fixated on it but she notices the bracelet that Lacey's wearing during her appointment and she's kind of always playing with it and the bracelet is covering scars that Lacey had inflicted on herself and so she realizes that the bracelet's on her body so she tells the detective, wait, the bracelet is missing off of Lacey. But she also like can't tell him that she knows about Aubrey's missing earring or her missing necklace because, yeah. again, she'll place herself at the scene of the crime. <laughs> yeah. And she can't say, oh, back when my dad was a serial killer. Exa- exactly. Glory. So like she already has these working theories in her mind, but she won't tell anybody Mm-hmm. because she doesn't want to get thrown back into that life and she doesn't want to be... I don't know if she necessarily feels that she'll ever be a suspect, but she doesn't want to go yeah. through all this again. She can't go through I it again. like you said before, that she's very apprehensive about police mm-hmm. and she knows that the more she gets involved... I don't think it even crosses her mind that she's going to be a suspect because... Well, I guess it does when they come to question her because she was the last one who saw Lacey. But Mm -hmm. she just thinks they're going to start digging into my past. They're going to find out who I am. Yes. They're going to find out about the incident in college. They're going to find out about all of these things. So she just, she wants to help, but she doesn't want to be involved, which is not not a great setup. No. And then basically she tries to just solve it herself, more or less, is kind of like what it comes down to. So... Yeah, because this is all too crazy for her. And then also when she was at the assisted living facility, she discovered that her mom had a visitor and that that visitor was Aaron Jansen, the Mm -hmm. New York Times reporter dude. So she contacts him and basically flips her lid and was like, how dare you? Blah, blah, blah. But then she's like, let's talk, though. (laughs) Let's have a quick conversation. (laughs) And she... Her and Aaron are having a conversation, and he suggests that the recent murders could be the work of a copycat killer who's obsessed with the murders from her past. Oh, yeah. So that he, gets her he wheels turning. this fire underneath He does. Her. Oh, he 100% does. And Chloe knows that only her family and the police and the victim's family knew about the missing jewelry. Mm-hmm. That wasn't mm-hmm. a known fact. No one knew that. It was only – because part of, like, the, the, the plea deal – for his um the dad's that he didn't get the death sentence yeah was that he would disclose where the bodies were the location Mm -hmm. of the bodies and that the the jewelry was never put into evidence or anything so 
no one knew except for the family, the police, and the victim's families. So now... Wait, which she, he never did, by the way. No. Well, he he did. He told them where they were, but they he told them the location. But by the time they went there, there was nothing to be found. Oh, because they live in Louisiana, it, and it's and like, it was so long. It was it was a few months after this after they had gone missing. So the assumption right, right. was that okay. you know animals ate it or whatever. The bog the boggy weather. They couldn't find weather, anything. Yeah. So, but okay. he said that that was where. And again, that was never really touched upon. Again, it was it was kind of almost like a loose end in the book because if he just this if he like says a location, you don't find any bodies. Wouldn't you still like push him to tell you? if maybe he's lying or yeah because they literally found nothing it's not like they found like an arm bone no (laughs) they literally found nothing and then they're just like okay keep your plea deal i don't know that that part was a little weird but just the fact of he puts in her mind that it is probably a copycat and a copycat is one of two things either obsessed with in like a like an amazed by type of way Mm -hmm. or obsessed with in a hatred type of way of the person they're trying to copycat. And basically in either case, they're going to try and beat that original killer at their own game, so to speak. Yeah. And so for whatever reason, her first thought is she goes to Burt Rhodes, who is the father of Lena Rhodes, who apparently was also having an affair with her mom and mm-hmm. she tells Aaron, or she asks Aaron for help looking into Bert, and it turns out that he's been in and out of jail for 15 years. He had various offenses like domestic abuse and assault, and now the guy lives in Baton Rouge. He lives in the area, and he works for a mm-hmm. home security installation company, which now I get that. She kind of did a call now, the author, like to BT- BTK, now that like... Yep. Now that I yep. read this and I'm like now reading that and then saying that, no, okay, she's like, she's like a cool little callback. So now she's now Chloe, because I think Chloe has an obsessive personality. She becomes fixated on things. Now she's fixated on Burt Rhodes and she's mm-hmm. now officially convinced that this is the guy that is killing these girls. 100%. It's 100% him. So she's looking at the website for the home and security installation. His picture's on the, on the website. Daniel walks in on her. And his first assumption is his basic assumption is that Chloe feels unsafe because so Daniel does know about her family. He didn't he didn't know initially when they first met, but Chloe opened up enough to tell him about her past. Mm -hmm. And she discovers something about him, too, that when he was uh, in high school, his sister Sophie went missing and was never found. So they kind of have like a commonality with each other. So he thinks that she's not feeling safe. Yeah, she opens up to him because to her this was the first boyfriend that she ever had who didn't know who she was mm-hmm. and wasn't just with her to like find out about her father so the fact that she was able to tell him technically on her own terms that's kind of what made her trust him so quickly mm-hmm. exactly and so his assumption is that she feels unsafe and he was you know well when i come back like well because he has to go on another trip mm-hmm. another work trip he's got to travel again he's never home <laughs> he's like we'll we'll install you know we'll get it, it installed and so he leaves and literally like an hour later it's like very quick by the way this was very quick there's someone at her door and Chloe thinks it's Daniel coming back because he like forgot something and she opens her door and it's Burt Rhodes. <laughs> yeah. Just 
in the flesh. And she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so like now is like when you're it's 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 been twisty and turny, but now is like when I, I feel like from this point on is when it's just like constant. There's something coming up. So fast paced. So, yeah. Yeah. So he comes in and Chloe doesn't know if he recognizes her. So he she gives like a different last name and he explains that her husband had called or someone had called to install a security system and then she just like starts questioning him like oh do you live in the area long <laughs> she's so not chill no she's the opposite of chill and i actually loved when he was like bitch you think i don't know who you are no me too me too because you can just tell the whole situation was just full of tension and you could tell what was coming from both sides so you knew that something you knew that he had to know or at least have an inkling yeah <laughs> because even when i think i i don't even remember what he knew who she was too because i think the the husband had gave like her her name not like their her real name yeah yeah and had said he already knew that she was lying because the the husband uh the fiance had said i'm on my way out of town but she'll open the door for you and as soon as he got there she didn't want Bert to know that she was alone so she was like oh my husband's upstairs but like if you need me to go ask him anything I can yeah so uh-huh. automatically he knew that she was lying and red flags <laughs> she's just like trying to play it cool and he's like Chloe I literally know who you are like you think that I don't yeah. know that you live in Baton Rouge and and then he goes off on yeah a rant he's he like does. you live this charmed life I lost my daughter your dad was a monster and you have your own practice. You obviously have plenty of money and blah, blah, blah. And Chloe is like, dude, Lena was my friend. Yeah. Like, I miss her too. And that's when you kind of, you realize how responsible she feels and how Lena's death really did affect her. Obviously Absolutely. more than the others. Mm-hmm. But just like that her dad could be responsible for for killing her friend. And like mm-hmm. one of her only friends. Yeah. And Bert makes a comment about, do you ever think about it? Like how it would feel to like take a life? And so her, yeah. she's just now her, she, her, her nerves are gone. They're shot. So mm-hmm. Bert leaves and she shortly after that goes to the detective and is ready to just kind of give like her lead on stuff. And she tells, she tells him like who she is and why she thinks Bert Rhodes is the killer because no one knew about the jewelry and so the detective does believe her. Like, he actually takes mm-hmm. what she's saying. And- because, to be fair, Bert was being sketchy as fuck yeah. and not doing himself any favors. And he did have that history of criminal charges and stuff like that. So, like, she's not wrong to suspect him, no matter how paranoid she is. No. And so the detective says, all right, like, we'll look into him. Like, you gave us, like, a decent lead. Like, we'll see if it pans out. And it's the evening, the same evening chloe's sleeping and the house alarm starts going off and so of course her first thought is like burt rose is here to kill me like burt rose has come back he is going to murder me my fiance has a gun in the closet i'm gonna go search this closet for this gun that i don't know how to use and then she's in the closet and she finds the necklace that matches the earrings from aubrey's picture and so now chloe is just staring at this necklace like freaking the fuck out because now she realizes that oh shit it's Daniel. Daniel's the one. Now her so now she, she goes like, from Bert. Doesn't 
immediately think it. Like, no, she's she like, <laughs> what is the ex name? I know, I know, I agree with that too. Did Bert she's... put this here? <laughs> did did this like magically apparate here? Yeah. Like what how did this happen? I know. And then it ended up being Daniel that was in the house and he didn't know the code or like how to like turn off the, the alarm. And so she's just <laughs> she's just again from this point forward, she's just on a full tilt spiral. Yes. There is everything she does now is based physically like on emotion and just her instinct. And she just She's rolls level with it. 100 constantly yeah. from this point on. Yeah. And so now she's just freaking out. She Now she suspects Daniel. And then they get an emergency phone call from the assisted living facility that Chloe's mom like stopped eating and she's going to die, basically. Yeah. So she doesn't want Daniel to go. But Daniel basically takes the keys and was like, no, I'm taking you. Like, there's no reason why I wouldn't go with you for this. And he kind of gets the she's vibe. Like pushing him away. Yeah, he gets she's the vibe. pushing him away. Yeah, that she's just kind of, that there's something going on. He, he understands, he gets the vibe that something's not right. And Chloe has a moment alone with her mom. And she starts communicating with Chloe by tapping her finger. And Chloe's like, be right back. I'm going to go grab some Scrabble pieces. And just this is very smart. It is. It's very smart. And she comes back with all these Scrabble pieces and she puts all the letters in front of them and she points to a letter. And so she only gets the letters D and A before they're interrupted. And her first thought is like, oh my God, it's Daniel. Daniel's the killer. It's yeah. completely 100%. My mom just confirmed it's Daniel <laughs> by these Scrabble she pieces. She didn't say Bert. She said, I don't know how my mother... <laughs> Who is stuck in this facility would know, but she knows. She never met Daniel before, but she knows. Yes. So this is just starts this whole investigation now. Chloe gets home. The necklace is missing. So she's like, what the fuck? I swear it was there. Now she thinks she's going crazy, but she's also like, no, I'm not crazy. I know it was there. Yeah. And so she's does her own investigation into Daniel because now she needs to prove that it's her fiance that killed these missing girls. And, and this whole time, she's got a partner in crime. Like, oh no, she has recruited this reporter. Oh, I'm getting there. Don't worry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. getting there. So she like lies to Daniel and says, I'm going on a bachelorette party in New Orleans for the weekend. Just which, fucking randomly, which would be a red flag because the girl doesn't do anything. And quite an elaborate lie, dude. Like, really? Yeah. Because now, like, her first thought is, even before this, she thinks that there is an actual connection now to her and these girls because Lacey was her patient. And then she realizes that Aubrey was at the wedding venue that her and Daniel went to go look at. So now yeah, she's just like, it's Daniel. He's connecting these – he's choosing these girls that I have a connection with. It's, it's 100%. So then she – looks in his briefcase and she she finds the information that she needs that's not disclosed yet we don't know what it is and mm -hmm. then she calls our good old friend aaron jansen and is like you're an investigative journalist right let's do some investigate let's do it put your and he's like, investigation sure, hat on me, let's do it yeah <laughs> and so Wait, she showed can we, show <laughs> can we rewind for one second yes, are we absolutely. gonna talk about ethan winters <sighs> what that's right i forgot about that okay dude. i i don't all I have to say is that, all right, so the cops find out that Burt Rhodes is not guilty of all of these things. I don't know how they find it out, but they're like, oh, Chloe, like, 
you sent us on this wild goose chase, chasing <laughs> yeah. after Bert. And then they find out the thing in her past that she didn't want them to find out, which is that in mm-hmm. college, she had a restraining order brought against her because she was with her college boyfriend and he started being sketchy and weird and her roommate went missing and she automatically, like, she's just surrounded by missing girls all the yeah. time. So she automatically thought that her boyfriend, Ethan, was guilty. And the reason that we need to talk about this is because <laughs> this is fucked up that the cops aren't believing her because of this. Because Ethan was shitty. Ethan was cheating on her mm-hmm. with her roommate slash best friend in quotes so he was doing something wrong and fucked up and then he gaslit her into thinking that she was paranoid over nothing oh i know and then she overreacted by like breaking into his dorm room like, and, she, and then and also like wrong and during that time was when she was mixing alcohol and pills yeah so, so that's it was, why she like broke yeah. in yeah it was this whole thing and then end up like she was the, the ethan was having an affair was cheating on her with the roommate and because then she like pregnant. found because she looked in the bed and saw this huge blood stain and was like oh my god my roommate's been murdered but she had a miscarriage and just didn't yeah. fucking clean up the sheets and just ran like, away <laughs> do we blame chloe for thinking that no she no kind of no. does have a history she already of being has, around i was dead just girls. gonna say she already has a history of people going missing around her so i think she's already pre it's already going to be a predetermination for her when someone if, if yeah. something similar like that happens so i just thought the cops were being a little bit unfair i was like i get that she has a history of accusing people who aren't necessarily guilty of murdering people but ethan still sucked no and i think that they're that's why i think the whole point of that story in itself in the novel was to make the cops think that they cannot they can't trust her now that she's always going to be discredited yeah and she's completely on her own and that's why she has to be she yeah she has to be you know inspector chloe gadget she has to like do her herself you know she just exactly okay so... <laughs> sorry i just no I no you're right that was a good point i just Ethan. i was yeah no that's that was a great point to bring up not mad about it because it's true <laughs> so okay, she meets up with so now Aaron. Talk about her partner she meets up with Aaron at a motel and she shows Aaron some receipts that show that daniel was spending time in the area where her father is incarcerated at the Louisiana State Penitentiary. So she's like, it's him. She's communing with my father. He's his right-hand man. He's telling, you know, it's this whole thing. And so... And just Aaron's- in general, in places that he told her he wasn't going to be. Like, if he exactly. said, oh, I'm going to so it, New Orleans, and, that is, and then he was actually somewhere else. That's definitely suspicious when you see these receipts and everything. And it's... Oh, hell yeah. But, like, and I, but I feel like as... We read a lot of thriller, thriller novels. It definitely felt like Daniel was like a red herring. Mm-hmm. But the way that she wrote it was so good that you almost you almost doubted the, the doubt. Like you're you're doubting the doubt. Yes. Okay, that was me because the second that they introduced Daniel, yeah. I was like, it's this motherfucker. It's this guy. 100%. And then as it's literally all this incriminating evidence is piling up, piling up uh-huh. the receipts and then, you know, yeah. we'll get to the next part. And then I'm like, there's still over a hundred pages left. There's uh-huh. no way. But like, how is she going to write how her way she... out of this? Exactly. Because then, then you get to the next part where the reason why they're in this town is because they're going to go talk to Daniel's mom who lives. I was, I did not see this no, shit coming. No, me fucking either. And so it's in like this trailer park 
and she discovers i mean she, she already daniel had already said like his family was kind of crappy and he didn't have a good relationship with his family yeah like they weren't invited to the wedding he didn't talk yeah, to them exactly and so she's they're 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 saying they're talking to her because there's been another there's been some more disappearances about young girls and they just want to talk to her about sophie and then chloe's like can i go look in daniel's bedroom just for no reason just because it might it might help it might really give us a boost in the investigation investigation and then here is incriminating evidence number five thousand she finds the book the same book that he had put his phone number in when he they had met at the hospital and she opens up the book and she finds all these newspaper clippings about her father so turns out he's known who she was all along he did know who and she was and who it. her father was. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that right there. Now Chloe's freaking the fuck out. Then incriminating evidence 5001. The mom is like the ring on your finger. That's my daughter's. And she's like before that when she's like we saw we were watching on the news about Sophie being missing and Daniel was smiling. Yeah, that too. And I was yeah. like <laughs> Daniel is a sociopath. Exactly. And then you find out that the ring that she's wearing is his sister. So now you're like, you're like, it has to be this. Like, it has to be this guy. There's no way. There's no way. It's not. It's no way. There's no way. He definitely killed his sister and kept the jewelry because Mm -hmm. he was following in my father's footsteps because she, he became so obsessed with my father. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, and the whole time Aaron is like, where are we? And he's like, wait a minute. Isn't your fiance's name Daniel? Yeah. Wait a minute. Like, he's literally just like, I am confused. Yes. So they go back to the motel, and then something happens that I hated in the novel. Didn't need to happen. It was a pointless plot point. Her and Aaron fuck. And I'm just like, why? Like, Why does this always happen? This is what, this happens in all of these books. I know. It really, really does. And I'm like, just because the girl is stressed and in an in in a situation, it doesn't mean she needs to have sex with you. That's not yeah. what's happening here. Like an accidental kiss, I would have yeah. been like, okay, cool. Yeah. But I guess the whole thing was that like she she obviously even before she suspected that Daniel was the killer, she didn't trust him enough to talk to him about it because she was like, wait, it is a little sketchy that I haven't known him that long, and et cetera, et cetera. And so she just all of her trust in a reporter like, i know what are you Which, doing I, I know and that was that was weird and then the next yeah. m- he leaves he goes to leave and he finds her bottle of xanax and he was she was like will you judge me if i take one and he was like i think you should take two like he's just very like okay with it which that happened and i was now suspicious of Aaron. Oh, I don't really? know. It did. Okay. It just did a total. It did a total like 180 for me. And now I was like, now I was looking weird at Aaron because I'm like, See, I was like, this is a man who has taken Xanax and understands. No. Sometimes you need to. You know <laughs> I know. Saying? I was just because I was like, why would he sleep? Because I it, I thought it was weird that he slept with her. That was like the biggest Agreed. thing. I was like, and Agreed. now he's just like, no, you should definitely like medicate yourself right now. So I was just kind of was like, all right. It's- she so you understand why she slept with him because she's you know like just spiraling down this crazy rabbit hole and for some reason he's the only person that she trusts which makes no sense at all makes no sense but you don't understand why he slept with her because no. he knows that she's 
mentally unstable at this time, like that she's just found out that her fiance has possibly killed his own sister and is killing all of these girls and like all these girls that she has a connection to. And then he's like, you know what? We should probably fuck. Yeah. Like that doesn't track to me, but it's a mystery (laughs) thriller. I get it. But we can move on. So Chloe wakes up from her sleep coma because it's been apparently like two fucking days almost literally two days and her phone is just blown up with notifications and she learns that her friend's daughter now is missing so again it's someone in her life that's close to her that daniel knows and so she is just so certain that daniel is the killer yeah it has to be him you're um leading a murder investigation and you fall asleep for two days that's not no that's not helpful and so she was like where would daniel take these girls because then she knows well her body's going to show up in a few days because that's his mo the body goes missing mm-hmm. the girl goes missing and then two three days later her body's somewhere mm-hmm. so all of a sudden she was like i know where they are they're in my childhood home How the fuck she came to this conclusion, I'll never know. It says because she remembers she told Daniel that the childhood home is still sitting. It was never sold. So Mm -hmm. it's just kind of just, it's like an, it's basically in an abandoned house in in Brobridge. So she's like, that's where Riley, I know it. I will say I did like the tie-in of using the house. 100%. The fact that it was like, it was like three and a half hours away or something. Yeah. Like it wasn't convenient. If it was closer, it would have made more sense for her to like immediately jump to this conclusion yeah but daniel is literally never home so exactly so it's it's it it makes sense yeah it definitely makes sense and so she gets the house and lo and behold there's riley drugged up on the Mm -hmm. floor but they're not alone guess who's there new york times reporter aaron jensen what what (laughs) he's like my god i i I thought that he would take her here too. That's so I, weird. Like this has to it's be like the Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other. <laughs> I know everyone's pointing at each other. That's and then them. I just and then and then all of a sudden he just like breaks down and he was like, I was forced to do this. And mm-hmm. Chloe has Daniel's gun with him because she had taken it from the house before she left too, and she just shoots and kills him, which like made me mad when it happened because I'm like, don't kill him. You need him to know. Who's who's forcing him to do this? Who set him up? Was it Daniel? <laughs> yeah, she she doesn't think things. It was a just, lot, but and, and again, the wheels were turning. Like the wheels, just I like continuously that... turn. Oh yes, they don't fucking the wheels. The wheels on this bus are going round and round, and they're not fucking stopping. Okay, they are <laughs> wheeling so hard. They're doing donuts. She's in the... like all of a sudden. So in this ten seconds between him showing up and him walking towards her and her shooting him. Yeah. She has the time to rethink every interaction they've ever had. And she's like, Oh my God, the day that we met, how do I even know that he's a reporter? How do I even know uh-huh. that he's the one from the picture? I mean, she's, and then she's like, I could still feel his hands on me. Cause we literally just fucked like two days ago, right before my <laughs> long nap. It's, it's a lot. And, and then listen, she yeah. I know. And it's entertaining as fuck. I was oh, into yeah. it. Like, it was messy, but I was into it. I was glued to the page. Exactly. Because now you're like, well, now how are we going to know how you're going to prove it's Daniel? Like, you just killed your lead. 
And then the detective ends up telling Chloe that Aaron was really someone named Tyler Price, which was a high school dropout. So it's someone from town. It's obviously clearly not Aaron Jensen from the New York Times. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. she was duped. She was duped so hard. And my dude was playing the long game. He was playing the long game. He was playing her hard. He's the one who who told her about the copycats, who Mm -hmm. got her looking at Bert, who got her looking at Daniel. And, like, she remembers him, like, hanging around when they were kids. He was, like, friends with Cooper. And he she was, like, so now she's just, like, convinced that now he had something to do with it, obviously, Tyler. And so it's just, it uh, continues. It's just, you're, it's like you literally just pulled, like, a yarn ball and now it's just unraveling and you can't make Mm -hmm. it stop. Mm -hmm. There's just so much information coming at you. It could just end there. Like, Tyler could just be copying her father. Mm -hmm. But she still feels that Daniel's a part of it for obvious reasons. And so she goes home and she discovers that Daniel actually, because Daniel had said to her, because after the whole situation with Riley, she was like, just please come home. Like, I'm going to leave. I won't be here. And so she goes home and it turns out the dude didn't leave. He just was hiding out in this house, which again, weird. That's red flag. (laughs) Still weird. Still weird. Everything is still fucking weird. (laughs) Yeah. That was creepy behavior. That was. And so. He's like, I'm going to give you space. Actually, I'm going to hide in the closet. And then he shows her that he does have the necklace, but he's like, but it wasn't me. And then he goes into this whole spiel about how their father was an abusive drunk and he would constantly lay hands on Sophie. They're his sister. So he had promised her that he would help her disappear. And that's what he does. And he's like, once I graduate. The abuse because she saw the bruises on his mother. Yeah. When they went to talk. Exactly. She she believes that he was abusive for sure. Yeah. And so he says, like, I helped her escape. And I got the idea from your dad seeing all the news. That was why he had the newspaper clippings. Because this whole this whole thing with sophie was based off what he saw her dad doing which was smart i'll give it to him especially for a high schooler but exactly like wow i i was impressed i know and so his sister is actually alive and living in mississippi so she's still alive and then but there's still obviously all these unanswered questions and he does admit that he was visiting her father in prison he was going Mm -hmm. to see dick davis because there were parts of the story that didn't line up for him, and he didn't think that his her dad was the killer. Mm-hmm. So another can of worms is now opened. Because <laughs> yeah, he just doesn't share any of this with her. Which, like, uh-huh. to be fair, I understand because he knows that she's not over it, and he knows that, like, you can't just go to your fiancé and be like, hey, remember how I pretended that I didn't know about your past? I actually did. I've also been mm-hmm. visiting your father in prison, who you've never visited, and I don't think that he killed all those girls that he's convicted of killing. Like, that's yeah. a weird conversation. It just opens up this whole thing. But then it leads to the final twist of the all our answers are, all our questions are answered. And turns out the killer now is the same killer as 20 years ago because it's her brother, Cooper. <laughs> and Cooper is the one who made Tyler kill the girls it, there's now it all makes sense and he so but it was genius what chloe did 
to get him to admit to everything too because she drugged his wine with all like this the crushed up xanax (laughs) but i have an issue with this because first of all poor chloe we find out during that conversation that she realizes that as cooper is like falling down because the drugs are hitting his system he goes to reach for her and she's like he would have killed me like when he found out that i knew i was just a loose end doesn't matter that i was Mm -hmm. his sister he was gonna kill me my issue is that there's a little hidden camera (laughs) in the corner of the room where the detective and daniel are watching from the car she just illegally drugged this man oh i know to get a confession And the cop is like, perfect, crush up more Xanax. Like, this is fully illegal. I know. And so so basically, during the flashback scene, um, Chloe found dirty magazines under his floorboard. And she told her dad. <laughs> Such an innocent little kid. So the dad, like, goes in to find them. And then the dad finds the, the jewelry. Hmm. And so... The dad was covering up for the son the entire time. He knew that it was Cooper. And when he was arrested, she remembers the last thing that her dad said to them. And now she realizes it was directed strictly at Cooper. He had said, be good. Mm -hmm. And so Cooper didn't kill again until now, obviously. But Mm -hmm. he admits that he, the first girl he killed was actually someone named Tara and he just wanted to see how easy it would be. And then he discovered that it was actually pretty easy. But Lena saw him. And that is why Lena had to go. Mm-hmm. And then he just couldn't stop after that. Then we find out that it wasn't that Lena had a crush on Cooper. Mm-hmm. It was that she knew what he was capable of. Mm-hmm. And she was testing him constantly to see if he would shut her up. Yeah, exactly. And then Tyler was just kind of this loner. And so Cooper, like, just kind of brought him into his plans the whole mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So it was wild. <laughs> and it was. Yeah. Well, the way that she writes Cooper. Yeah. Is so, like, you believe all of this. Like, oh, I and know. They, she introduces it subtly throughout the book, talking about how when he was younger, everyone gravitated towards him. Mm-hmm. He was so charismatic. And then you start unraveling it and you realize that he manipulated absolutely everyone he manipulated his dad into taking the blame for him because his dad mm-hmm. wasn't planning on doing that he was just hiding the jewelry until he could figure out but what chloe to do. found it exactly. unintentionally so and then it derailed everything he manipulates the mom because then we find out the mom knew mom the whole knew. time too mm-hmm. and that's why she tried to kill herself so she wasn't he... trying to say daniel she was trying to spell dad yes go ask your dad because dad knows <laughs> but she she writes Cooper as this like Ted Bundy esque. Oh yeah, charismatic, manipulative. Of course, Tyler would do whatever he says. A hundred percent. Of course, Chloe would never believe that her brother would do this, and that's why he hated Daniel so much, and he was trying to pin everything on mm-hmm. Daniel because Daniel's the only one who saw through him. Yep. And he obviously was the one that planted Aubrey's necklace. So when he was at the engagement party, he snuck upstairs and put the necklace in their closet so that when Chloe mm-hmm. found it, she thought it was Daniel that put it there. But obviously it was actually Cooper. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be honest with you. And you can believe me or not, but I you called it. it Cooper? Yep. Mm-hmm. Because I was reading it and the way that she was writing the father, it was definitely like an Easter egg. 
because mm-hmm. she would always say he was so caring and she felt so safe with him. And I knew from seeing all the reviews, I hadn't, I knew nothing about the book. I didn't know like anything, but everyone had always said, you'll never guess the twist. You'll never guess the twist. And when he was at that party, her engagement party, I immediately was like, oh, it's Cooper. Like it's mm-hmm. Cooper. Mm-hmm. And then obviously everything through, happened throughout the book, but I still had in the back of my mind that it was Cooper. And so I felt vindicated <laughs> when it was Cooper. Good. And I was like, well, I fucking got the twist. <laughs> it's funny because at the party, I was like, it's either Daniel or Cooper. Yes. But then the second that Cooper left the party, I was like, oh, th- he's barely in the book. I was like, it's definitely Daniel. Mm-hmm. And then when all this stuff was piling up about Daniel, I'm like, there's obviously no way that it's actually Daniel. But I... I didn't think that Cooper was involved enough for it to be him. And I so and I and impressive. I think she I'm did. I was very proud of myself because I usually sometimes don't always get the I I usually get it, but this one was like it made it seem like and I can get why people couldn't figure it out because like you said, mm-hmm. Cooper's not in the book a lot. Mm-hmm. He's barely in the book, which I think was also another easter egg. Mm-hmm. He's a character. Mm-hmm. He's a main character in this book, but he's not a main character. And it's also Okay, so this is this is how you do a thriller with red herrings. Like mm-hmm. there was the Burt route, which mm-hmm. totally, totally worked, totally made, made sense. sense. Then there was the Daniel route, which holy shit, could there have been any more evidence? Uh-huh. And then there was Aaron, like all of these things. This is what they didn't do in Silent Patient. Okay? No. <laughs> they introduced all of these other suspects and then actually pulled them into the story, gave an explanation for their actions, gave an explanation for why they were so suspicious mm-hmm. instead of just being like, LOL, just kidding. It's not any of them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it was a great book. She wrapped it up really, really nicely and it was mm-hmm. written very, very well. And I she do. basically, she and I feel like she also basically answered all the unanswered questions. Yeah, I didn't think there were any plot holes, which mm-hmm. I really liked because that that's. I know you hate plot holes. <laughs> <laughs> but I had some questions. Yeah, why didn't she stay with Daniel? Because I know that she literally accused him of being a murderer. But then when she goes to visit the sister. The sister says that, like, Daniel still talks about her all the time and, like, insinuated that Chloe was the reason they're not together anymore. I think, in my opinion, it was left open-ended that there could be a future for them, just not right now. That now there too much has happened in the the matter of – because it was like – it was literally like the matter of, like, a fucking week that all this happened in. Yeah. Yeah. And so – and again, it's another super traumatic experience for Chloe because now she discovers – it wasn't her dad at all it was her brother and now she has to try to rationalize now she has to go back 20 years in her lifetime to now present and rationalize everything her brother's done since then Mm -hmm. and what her brother did then so i'm assuming that she probably just didn't have the capacity to have a relationship with anybody she had to reprocess the trauma that she never even fully processed in the first place exactly i mean she lost her father she lost her mother her fiance was a liar, even if in the end he was trying to help her. Yeah. She fucked a serial killer mm-hmm. who was stringing her along as part of some twisted game. She finds out that her brother, who she's been extremely close to, the only person she ever trusted, is also a serial killer. I mean, I hope she doesn't continue as a therapist after this because <laughs> my girl, you got stuff to yeah. unpack. Yeah. So I think that it was kind of like they definitely separated, but I don't, I wouldn't. 
if if we were to get like a sequel, I would see them together. Okay. I just think okay. that I just think that it was a smart move by the author because how could you stay with somebody after everything that just happened? I would need my space. Yeah. <laughs> and also like he really did lie to her and she did accuse him of being a serial killer, so But I like that she it's got hard. to meet the sister. That was nice. Yeah, that was That was nice. a nice little a nice little like cherry on top of everything and that the sister was basically like I don't think the, the sister was like I don't think it's over between you guys but I understand yeah. that you guys both just need space right now. I one thing I do wish is that she went and visited her father. Yeah. Or that that was part of the ending because it would have been like a full circle. I agree. Moment. I was kind of anticipating that meeting with her father. I mean, it was kind of like mm-hmm. an, it was kind of uh reference that they were going to rebuild their relationship, but there wasn't really ever any story about it. Yeah, there was like no resolution. No meeting. There. Yeah. And she even said, like, that she just wasn't ready. Like, she had seen him on TV after he was exonerated, and she just mm-hmm. wasn't ready to reach out to him yet. No, but, like, she would be, like, willing, it seemed, to, like, rebuild that relationship with her dad. Which I don't blame her, because that's literally the only person now she technically has left. Yeah. You know? So it's... But I, I'm i glad that we read this. I thought it was good. I agree. I definitely agree. And it was... It was just a nice thriller to read, because I feel like all the ones that I've been reading have been, like you said, like, kind of like predictable or they have plot mm-hmm. holes. And this was a very tidy thriller mm-hmm. for, and phenomenal for her debut thriller, by the way. Yeah, that's why I'm shocked that this is her debut thriller. I really like her writing. There's a couple analogies. I actually, I wrote one down because it just baffled me so much. She has a lot of weird analogy. So there's this one part where Lacey's poster is covering Aubrey's missing poster because Aubrey has already yeah. been found dead. And she says, quote, already she's been replaced, taped over like a broken vending machine. <laughs> how, That's funny. How do you tape up a broken vending machine? <laughs> People just reach in and get the stuff. Like you can't just tape it. Why would you do that? Why would you take joy away from people? I I, I thought that part was a little bit weird, but... Other, it just stuck out to me. I was like, a broken vending machine. Wow. They should get the glass fixed. It sounds awful. So for our rating system, okay. out of mementos in a jewelry box. You mean serial killer mementos? Yes. Okay. Okay, got it. I, I gave this a 4.5 out of 5. It was good. And the only reason why I couldn't give it a full 5 is I just had an issue with her taking pills illegally. That was really what got me. I was just like, oh, no, this just ruins it. It wasn't anything against it. I just was kind of like, it just didn't sit right with me. And I didn't yeah. like, I, I I don't like when they make, because it was the same thing with like the woman in the window. It was like when they make the main characters that are women always be drugged up. I just mm-hmm. don't, person. it's personally not a trope for a character that I like. So that's why I gave it 4.5. She could be an unreliable narrator without the pills. Yeah. You know, because the same thing with like sharp objects, like the main character in sharp mm-hmm. objects was always like, and I'm like, why do women always have to constantly be drugged and then they're never believed because mm-hmm. they're impaired? And I just don't, I just personally just don't like that. So that's the only reason why I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I also gave it 4.5 serial killer mementos in a box. I didn't like that the reporter and her had sex. That too. That too. But 
I thought it was super engaging, super mm-hmm. fast paced. It's everything you want in a thriller because like you said, it doesn't have those plot hel- holes. It doesn't have those loose ends. It has a bunch of red herrings, but they all have a role in the story. And I really, really liked the way that everything was tied back. But when it was mentioned first, it wasn't in a big way like, oh, we have to remember this. But like the ring that the mom sees. Yes. The firefly that she catches at the end, which was like the belly button ring. The fact that Tyler, when she caught him outside the window and he said, I'm nobody. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, she was like, who are you? And he said, I'm nobody. Like all that stuff being tied back together. It's, I thought it was, was nice. really cool. Um, and then, like I said, I love the way Cooper was written. Mm-hmm. And I just think for a debut novel, especially, it was just... It was good. It was really, really good. It was, it was really, really good. good. I'm very much looking forward to reading her other book that I have. Yeah, so, I agree. I bought I, it too. I think it's going to be good. Yeah. And from what I've seen, people also said it was good, like on Bookstagram and stuff. So I'm yeah. excited. I'm really excited to read it. But anything else? I do have a book recommendation based Ooh. on this book. Listening. Um, so it's called The Good Lie by A.R. Tory, And I read it two months ago maybe i remember that ago. being I, on one of your books yeah i talked about it on our, our monthly bonus episode but it's very similar to this it's a twisty thriller it's got a psychologist in it who you know gets involved with the investigation so it's definitely got the same type of vibes so for anyone who liked this book i would definitely recommend that one also nice i will definitely i haven't read that one but it's on my like tbr list i think i like marked it on goodreads as want to read yeah yeah it's a good one I will check that out. I will read a book recommendation from you because I have to because you've read uh, so many of mine. <laughs> you are just, required to. There are just so many books. I can't help I it. Know. It's crazy. All right. So if you love us, obviously you love us. Why else would you be listening right now? You should definitely like, subscribe, download our episodes on whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this podcast. You can shoot us an email with any book recommendations, any questions you have for us. We are at fullybookedcalfpod at gmail.com. We are on social media on Instagram and TikTok at fullybookedcalfpod.com. So we would love to hear from you. Give us some shout outs. Yes, we would love to hear your thoughts, especially what kind of books you like for us to talk about, what genres Mm -hmm. you want to hear, stuff like that. We're definitely curious. Yeah, we're open. I read basically everything and I'm going to make Kelsey read everything. So it's going to be fine. (laughs) I'm open to it. Okay, exactly. I'm open to it. I bought (laughs) I bought Akatar. So I know. I know. Exactly. And that'll that'll get you into the fantasy world now. (laughs) So Thank you all for checking us out. And remember, if you need us, we're fully booked. Bye. Bye.